Welcome to the Rocks and Roots podcast. So you are stuck with me. Uh, Tumbles has a work thing tonight. So I had the pleasure of interviewing Brian Livingston, the author of The Habits of Squirrels, a fictional account of an Appalachian Trail-like thru-hike. His trail is the Great Eastern Trail. Brian is a 2013 thru-hiker himself, and then he decided to start writing a book, and this version of the book he started writing in 2018, and it took him about four years to get it where uh, he was able to send us a copy. Uh, I highly recommend it. I'm about two-thirds of the way through. It is a very, very easy read, and it flows really well once you get into it. Um, And I really enjoyed talking to uh, Brian or Mr. Frodo. So let me throw out, let's see if I can manage to screw this up this week. So Instagram, at rocks underscore and underscore roots underscore pod. I literally had to pull it up on Google and look at it so I didn't screw that up. So TikTok, at rocks underscore roots underscore podcast. Patreon and YouTube are going to be Rocks and Roots podcast. Just look us up. Please consider donating to that Patreon. Um, it costs us a bit of change every month to keep the Zoom account and the podcast account going. Without further ado, here is Mr. Livingston, I presume. Good evening, Rocks and Roots listeners. Um, I would like to introduce Brian Livingston. Brian is a 2013 Appalachian Trail thru-hiker. He is also the author of the book, The Habits of Squirrels. The book is the fictional account of Mr. Gabe's thru-hike through the Great Eastern Trail, which represents the Appalachian Trail. Brian was kind enough to send us a copy of the book, which I have enjoyed immensely, and I'm very, very excited to be talking to you, sir. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you for having me on. Our pleasure. All right, so um, I guess let's start with your 2013 thru-hike. What got you interested in hiking, and why did you decide to do a long trail, and then why the Appalachian Trail? So I guess that's really three questions to start us off. Yeah, so um, yeah, I grew up in Atlanta, and or I grew up in the suburbs of Atlanta. Um, I sort of spent my childhood in like the great suburban outdoors. My house backed up to like a creek and some woods. So I was always sort of out there messing around looking for crowd ads and stuff. Um, I read uh, Bill Bryson's book, Walk in the Woods, when I was in middle school, and that sort of was the first time that the Appalachian Trail was really put on my radar. And, um, I mean, beyond that, uh, not a lot of hiking experience. Uh, it was not an outdoors family, really. But uh, you know, when I, I went to Clemson, um, when I went into Clemson, we did sort of a, a quick hiking trip. And then I graduated Clemson, and I decided to take a year off. And um, I was started looking for ways to fill the time. And just looking at the Appalachian Trail, it uh, it checked a lot of boxes, and a long trail checked a lot of boxes, including that the, um, it did not cost a whole lot of money because I did yep. not have a whole lot of money to uh, to put forth. You know, a lot of people go backpacking Europe and some of the uh, maybe the sexier stuff, right? But uh, exorbitantly more expensive than the Appalachian Trail. Uh, and then, sort of, finally, it was a very safe choice. Uh, my parents could drop me off, and more importantly. Uh, pick me up if it didn't go well since it was only about an hour and a half from home luckily that didn't end up happening but uh that's that's sort of how i ended up on the appalachian trail that's really interesting because gabe the protagonist of your book does the trail at the opposite end of his life he does it when he retires so it's interesting that you 
wrote from that opposite perspective. But we will get into the book momentarily. So how long did it take you? And um, this is back in 2013. So in even in that short amount of time, almost 10 years, things have radically changed as far as gear, equipment, navigation tools. So I guess we'll start with how long did your hike take? And then if you want to talk about some of your gear and navigation stuff. Yep. So um, I think I was out there. It was March 12th to August 3rd. I think that's 144 days. Yep. Uh, it took 144 days. I used the Appalachian Trail Conservancy guidebook. Um, and I cut that into fourths and sort of shipped it to me at different times. Uh, it's one of those sort of not necessary ways to cut weight. I don't think that saved me that much weight. And it was a lot of trouble. But then uh, I spent a lot of time looking over my uh, companion shoulders at their uh, their AWOL guides, if you're familiar with that. Yes. Which I don't know the state of the guides now since it's been 10 years, but AWOL, at least in 2013, was a much more substantial guide with the, the elevation profiles and just better information about where you're getting water and the towns and everything. So, um, yeah, um, that's the one I would recommend if I was going to do it again. I think I've since picked up a copy of that. Uh, in terms of gear, uh, a lot of it was from Craigslist. I got a, a secondhand REI quarter dome tent, which, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm only five foot eight. And I think it was listed as serving a six foot person, but, uh, I could barely fit in. Uh, people called it the coffin. Okay. Um, and then I got a you know, secondhand thermarest sleeping pad. And then uh, just sort of mishmash stuff together from, uh, you know, depending on what was on sale and what I already had in my closet. Uh, but no no real map or compass beyond the uh, the guidebook. Uh, you know, Appalachian Trail will give you a pretty good idea. Yeah, you're either going north or south. You can't really mess yeah. that up too bad. So, okay. Um, that is – the reason I asked is uh, we started hiking in – 2018 and already we were using gut hook right away and then that has since changed to far out so to me it's always incredible how you go from within less than 10 years a paperback a wall guide to a digital map on your phone that has every water source up-to-date notes people people could leave notes less than 24 hours and you have the most recent information possible that's absolutely incredible to me oh yeah it was uh it was really uh somewhat frustrating because you know, the, the atc guide and the awol guide would list a water source as maybe inconsistent or not reliable and you would be located at a position where like, well it'd be nice to know whether there's gonna be water right. there and whether i need to load up now um so yeah, I didn't know about those apps. It'd be nice to to have that down pat and have recent information on it. Yeah, so if you ever decide to go back out there again, that is what I would recommend. So, because I noticed that Gabe in the book was using a lot of things that he had printed off the internet, which will lead us right into the book. So what made you decide to take on the project of writing a book about the trail? That can't have been easy and then also why tell a fictionalized account and not your own story uh so i've always i think like in fourth grade my teacher complimented something i wrote so ever you know since that sort of vain moment i've had sort of the thought and it's like maybe maybe i should write a book okay and then uh, you do something like hiking hiking the appalachian trail and that um yeah, that's such a like a growth experience, just a big experience with so many neat moments and neat interactions and just you know, realizations about sort of life and what you're capable of. Uh, it just sort of naturally lends itself to the page. Um, in terms of writing a, a fictionalized account, um, I don't know. I, yeah, I read Walk in the Woods, like I said, in middle school. I read Wild uh, just before I hiked the trail, and I love both those books. Um, you know, especially in wild, I, you know, I didn't have, you know, maybe the, the personal story to bear the weight of an entire novel. And then, um, you know, 
there's a lot of memoirs out of there. There's a lot of mm-hmm. memoirs that are really good. Um, it just it seemed like fiction would be a different way to take it that hadn't been done as much. And, um, you know, it, it left a lot of room to sort of play around with experiences where you could uh, embellish and it, it sort of exaggerate stuff and, you know, maybe move events around so they're more narratively pleasing. Okay. Yeah, I was thinking that as I read it, because as I was reading, I was asking myself, like, why didn't he tell his own story? And then I looked over at my shelf and I see, um, you know, Walk in the Woods. And then there's, you know, another memoir that I have over there that I'm looking at right now. So, yes, you are. And I kind of answered my own question, but I wanted to double check. with you. <laughs> yeah, that makes absolutely sense. There are a lot of other memoirs out there. So, um, and then how much of your story comes through in Gabe? We already covered, you did your hike when you were taking a gap year in college. Gabe is retired, so there's a really significant difference right there. Um, but is there anything that you have in common with Gabe? What of Brian comes through, uh, when writing about Gabe? Oh, man, uh, probably, probably too much. When I when I first started writing um, a story, I started writing a story on the on the Great Eastern Trail, the uh, the fictional Appalachian Trail, really. And then, um, but it was through sort of the eyes from the perspective of someone that was more my age. And it just as I started writing it, it kind of just felt like I was writing my memoir, but just in a, a lazy sort of uh, insecure way, instead of just putting myself out there. Okay. Uh, character sort of just really became me, and so I, I uh, cut that, and then went back and restarted with um, with Mr. Gabe, the you know the retired mailman. Um, he and I definitely share some some personality traits, or at least you know what I perceive to be myself uh, personality traits. Or just uh, you know he he kind of doesn't like to always take accountability for his decisions or the way that you know things are pinned up for him. When you know, um, you know, at particular points, he talks about how he's only on the trail because you know the the sort of whirlwind that ended up with his name being on the the town sign saying he's going to hike it. Yeah, and, like his uh, neighbors yeah. pushed him in. When he gets in an argument with his wife later on in the book, and she's like, "You'd rather run off and and leave me," and he's like, "Well, I'm only out here because of my neighbors." I, I that was not his finest moment in the book. <laughs> yeah. And that's, uh, that's unfortunately probably one of the moments where he mirrors me the most. Um, you know, just it's like, man, man, Mr. Gabe, like if you didn't want to be out here, you wouldn't want to be out here. You could have put a stop to this at any time. Right. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had numerous people, including my wife, call me out, you know, where I'm trying to dodge the blame for being in what I perceive to be a bad situation. No, no, like this is, you chose to do this. You knew what was coming. Um, you know, just trying to, you know, hide behind some other force besides my own decision making. Um, <laughs> We all do that to some extent, so... Okay. All right, so then, right away, as I was reading, and this is the first thing that I wanted to ask you about, um, the Great Eastern Trail in your book, and maybe it's not meant to mirror the Appalachian Trail exactly, but it's not really a nice place. Um, The shelters are run down. The first town that Gabe stops in, he gets escorted out because he can't uh, get someone to answer the door at the hotel. So he ends up sleeping outside under a, like a vent. And then, you know, the local constabulary comes and runs him out of town. And as I was reading that, I was like, oh man, we're going to get like John Rambo now. Um, But in general, the Great Eastern Trail in your book compared to the Appalachian Trail, they're very different. On the AT, the shelters generally, I mean, you do get some that were built in 1930, whatever, but generally the shelters are well-maintained. They're updated. A lot of them were built even in the 90s. You have really magical places like the Grayson Highlands. So what was it just to be different or why is Gabe's experience so different than a through hiker might encounter on the Appalachian trail? Uh, I think a lot of that is that we experienced the great Eastern trail through Mr. Gabe. Okay. 
kind of be somewhat pessimistic. Um, and then, you know, maybe if you experience it through Jezebel or Bear or one of the other characters, you know, where Gabe encounters a dark tunnel and is scared and is upset that it's there. Falls you know, down. They, yeah, they see it as another adventure, as another thing to just sort of uh, go through. And then um, part of that is, uh, you know, I didn't want, the, you know, the Appalachian Trail is pretty crowded and I it I didn't want there to be that many people on the trail. So I just okay. had to sort of work through and, you know, so I wasn't dealing with, you know, 12 people campfires every night. Uh, just sort of make it more of a place that's uh, past its heyday. Okay. But, uh, yeah, but I, th- I think a lot of it is getting it through Gabe's eyes and just the way he sees things as, you know, challenges or impediments as opposed to have, you know, experiences. It's really fascinating because there is actually um, – since you've done your hike, and I'm assuming since you've written the book, there is actually an eastern trail. It runs parallel to the Appalachian Trail, and it's there. It only goes to New York. It does start in Georgia. And it's there for the exact reason that you're talking about, because the Appalachian Trail has become so popular and some so crowded. Um, this trail was created to give you the experience that you're talking about. You can hike a long trail. You can go through, it's not 14 states, um, I'm not sure how many states it is, but Georgia to New York, so maybe eight or nine states, depending on what route it takes, without encountering all of these people. So as I was reading this, I was really fascinated. I was like, oh, there actually is an (laughs) eastern trail um, that has been created that is kind of like, um, you know, the trail that Mr. Gabe is on. So a very interesting coincidence there. But I hadn't thought of that, that... If maybe Jezebel was telling the story, um, the Great Eastern Trail might come across as uh, an adventurous place with rainbows and, um, you know, something new around every corner. I hadn't thought that, you know, we are looking at this through his perspective. I just took his words as face value. So that's the beauty of literature. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's not... Yeah, I mean, he's not wrong, I mean, especially at the beginning. He is cold and a run-down yep. shelter, but uh, he does not do anything to, to put a shine on it or gild the lily at all. Okay. So Gabe gets, as we mentioned, almost pushed into his hike by his neighbors and the town, and that seems to have been his entire life. He's moving through the expected steps. He has his job. He gets married, he has his family, he retires, and he's doing this rather than just waiting to die. So he knows that he needs something, but like many of us out there on the trail, he's not sure what. Um, So without giving away too many spoilers, can you kind of walk us through how the trail changed him and then... How did it change you as well? And could you kind of compare yourself to Gabe and your journey? I know that's yeah. a really complex question. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'll do what I can. Um, yeah, I mean, like we said earlier, you know, when Gabe starts off, he's uh, he's pretty negative on the trail, and he's you know kind of doing what he can to shirk off um, responsibility for stuff. Um, you know, he has a a strained relationship or a estranged relationship with his son who's who's left uh, their small town to go be an attorney in a big city. Uh, and then, you know, as he, as I guess, as he meets sort of the, the wilder people on the trail, as he accomplished stuff, as he takes more sort of steps that are outside of his routine and do not allow him to fall into a routine. It's, um, I guess the, the question becomes is whether that's going to stick and he's going to find his own sort of personal accountability and find a bright side and uh, kind of look back on, you know, what was really a, a pretty nice life in a, in a better, in a better light and perhaps the, the way it should be viewed. Um, for me, yeah, I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, all these long trails or any sort of the adventures like that are a really good opportunity to sort of, step out of your routine, sort of examine you, examine what you're doing and examine how you're spending your time and whether that's, you know, what you're about and what you want to be about and how you want to spend your time here. 
you know, it's really hard to do while you're caught up in the routine of doing everything because you just sort of have that, you know, carrot on the stick right in front of you that just keeps you, on, I guess, like the hamster wheel or um, whatever metaphor you want to use. So, it, um, you know, I was, I was coming out of college, so I don't know that I had a full-blown routine, but I definitely I had a direction. Um, I don't know immediately um, how much the, uh, the trail impacted my direction because I'd already – you know, applied to law school. Then three weeks after I finished the trail, I started law school. So I kept, I kept on that track for a little while, but it always had sort of put the thought in my mind that I wanted to be, um, hmm. I wanted to make a, you know, I wanted to be decisive and I wanted to, um, be deliberate in how I spent my time here on earth. And that's how you end up, you know, waking up in the mornings to write a book and put all this together and go through this process. And you've had an adventure that you can now carry with you through the rest of your life. Um, Even as a section hiker. So Tumbles and I have done about 860 some miles of the trail and coming back to the world after, you know, a three or four day, things don't seem as troublesome, like things in your everyday life that would be an annoyance, would be a problem. It's like, oh, okay, well, I'll, I'll just deal with that because, you know, you dealt with four days of no running water and no toilets. And so the minor inconveniences of life that when you're going through your daily grind are seem like obstacles it puts things into perspective and they really aren't oh yeah and then yeah just getting out into on the trail like that you sort of you know it's a reminder that there is a world outside of you know whatever's going on inside your office or inside your home that you know not everything relies upon what what happens there exactly and then i did notice um because i am nearly complete I did notice in the beginning when he's cold and he's falling down and he wants to quit but literally gets run out of town and can't call his wife and can't quit. When he meets Jezebel, she is literally leading him by the hand. He's very much a follower, uh, fairly incompetent. Um, You know, at one point he might have froze to death if he didn't have a hiking partner. And I'm at the point now where um, he's with a group of young boys and Cass gets bit by a squirrel and Gabe is actually the leader. He, without him, they might have been in a even worse situation. Um, he's with, I apologize, I don't really like these guys, so I don't remember their name. Who does he link up with? After um, Cass and those guys. Uh, Music Man and Robert. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, I'm not really a fan of these guys, to be perfectly honest. (laughs) So they're not as memorable as the others. But he's basically, in their tramley, he's their leader now. And it's gone from when Jezebel was literally leading him by the hand. Now he's pretty much the leader of this new tramley that he has. So he does go on a journey. And he is getting more assertive and he's becoming more, he's more likable. I'm, I wasn't thrilled about him in the beginning, but I'm starting to like him now that he's in later in life. He's finally developing um, some assertiveness. He's finally realizing who he is and he's becoming much more likable. That's good to hear. Uh, yeah. Especially for me and then for, uh, I imagine a lot of hikers uh, you know, being out there is sort of a crash course in, you know, what you're about and uh, getting what you want and, you know, you know, growing from not being able to get that to being assertive and sort of making shit happen. Absolutely. All right. Um. So you gave a really good sampling, as we were just talking about, of the kinds of people that you might meet when you are out on the trail. So because it's fiction, things are exaggerated. But you've got Jezebel, the young girl looking for adventure, and she um, is doing a semi-flip-flop, and when he meets her, has already done 
um, large sections, and she just wants to do it again because she loves it so much. Then he meets a group of wild young men looking for purpose. Um, you know, they are expected to, f at least one of them, I believe Cass, is expected to follow the path of going to law school, and he's looking for something out there. And then you've got, right now, you've got Music Man, um, who's close to retirement and refusing to settle into his twilight. And then his companion is, I, and it's a testament to your writing, I really don't like his companion at all. But were any of these characters inspired by people that you met out there? Yeah, I, I would say all of them at least started off um, with sort of a person in mind. And then, um, the, like, Dave is a good example. Um, when I was in the Smokies, um, it snowed every day. And, you know, I was hiking through about a foot of snow. My shoes were deteriorating. And I was having a really rough day. And, uh, you know, I... It's one of those things where you get to the shelter at the end of the day and sort of swearing and saying that this is this is stupid and ridiculous and every footstep feels like uh, pins and needles. And then uh, I met uh, an older guy who was standing, which is weird because most through hikers sit immediately when they get somewhere. And then he was sort of smiling, looking at the snow. And I, I talked to him for a while, and he was a re recently retired mailman and doing his his through hike oh, cool. that he looked forward to for fifteen years. Uh, he had a much better mindset than, than Mr. Gabe, but he was definitely the initial inspiration for sort of that sort of character. Okay. And, um, you know, Jezebel would be based on, you know, just a lot of the very strong independent women that are out hiking the trail. And then, you know, she kind of takes on her own world. Um, and, yeah, I mean, uh, I'd assume it's the same today. The Appalachian Trail is just loaded with uh, with boys like Speck and Cass and Bear that are just uh, you know essentially a traveling locker room, just goofing off and reenacting movies. And uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Hopper is based on someone too, just a, a mean old man that was always putting people down and wasn't really embracing anything that the trail was about. Okay, yeah, because I keep asking, and Gabe asks. Why are you out here then? So, um, we have been fortunate to not meet anyone like that in our travels. So, um, you know, I'm sorry that you linked up with someone who did have that mindset. Um, I know that eventually it'll probably happen when we're out there, but so far, so good. Everyone we've met out there, at least the through hikers or the long section hikers, have been really, really great and really, really, they want to be out there and you have this common bond. Oh, yeah. And that's why, that's why that one guy stuck out to me so much to, to get a character based on him. That, uh, you know, he was, I think he was the one mean, actual mean-spirited person I met in five months out there. Interesting. So, <clears throat> my wife and I were on vacation last weekend and that's where I read the majority of the book. And I ended up reading passages to her because we could identify with sections um, and kind of what Gabe is going through. He ends up hiking with his wife for a couple of days. And then they kind of end up getting <clears throat> abducted by an old lady who <laughs> is very insistent on being hospitable. <laughs> which I have heard stories about church groups being like that. Um, but she really doesn't get what he's doing. She feels like he's running away from her. Um, I've had the same conversations with my wife. So she wants to turn his hike into something else. She wants to turn his hike into an opportunity for him to reconnect with his son who he is estranged with. And I'm fortunate that even though my wife doesn't get it, she's very hands-off. You go do your thing. I don't get it. I'm not trying to turn this into something that it's not. Um, just don't take it too far. And then when I do, she, she reins me back in. But can you talk about uh, Gabe's relationship with his son? Where did that story element come from? Uh, 
I guess I should clarify first, you know, it did not come from me and my father's relationship. We have a very good, happy relationship. Um, people have asked me about that. So I probably nip that in the bud. Uh, it, uh, it just sort of, um, I knew he was going to, you know, I knew his son was going to live near the trail further up. So eventually a possible confrontation was going to happen. Um, but I wasn't, as, as uh, for most of the writing, you know, I wasn't, I was still getting to know the characters and I wasn't entirely sure what was going on between them. And, um, it's, you know, Gabe was born in Bodette and he never left Bodette, the small town that he left. And then, um, yeah, you know, his son did. And I, I, for me, I think that's where a lot of that sort of stems from and whether that's, you know, Gabe sort of pushing off his own insecurities or uh, regrets, um, you know, just forcing it into, you know, what becomes a, a re- relatively bad situation with his son. Um, yeah, you know, I, I, I wouldn't want to take that away from a reader, I guess, but yeah, you know, that's sort of where it sticks to with me. Um, and it just, you know, now Gabe's out on his own adventure and uh, perhaps feel like he's sort of reconciling some of the uh, the difference between them or the, the gap in his own life adventure. Well, I am looking forward to their meeting. I'm assuming I will get there soon. Um, but, yeah, I found that part of it very interesting. And I liked that as you're creating this protagonist, you don't always like him. Um, he's not trying to, to think of a way to word this. He's not always the best person. His, the the conflict with his son comes from the fact that, like you said, his son left the small town and is a very successful lawyer. And I, you know, in the book, what is the catalyst is when his his son tells um you know Gabe and his wife that he's not coming back to Bodette, he's gonna start this firm. He takes them out to a really nice dinner, and he's not proud of his son. I found that an interesting, and I know that that is a possibility. But you know, the goal is for your children to become strong, to become independent, to do better than you. And I know that there are some families when that happens, you know, fathers don't always deal with it well. So I thought it was interesting for you to write a character that as I'm reading, I'm like, wow, you're kind of weak and, and petty, Gabe. <laughs> well, I'm, that wasn't even a question. That was just my thoughts. But if you want to take that and do what you want to do with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's definitely, that's, that was the hardest part of writing it probably was, uh, you know, I, like, I like Gabe, but he is, especially at the beginning, flawed, and he does some things that really make you sort of uh, shake your fist at him. Um, and it's hard to, to write and spend time with people like that and then try and balance that out so that, you know, he's not so unlikable. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't want our, you know, I don't want our listeners to get the impression that I didn't like the character, because you do like him. So it's a testament to your writing that he is fairly weak um, at times, but yet I don't, you know, I want him to keep going and I am rooting for him. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, a lot of that was just working really hard to try and give him sort of a a starting point, you know, a low starting point in terms of you know, morals or sort of backbone uh, or just being sort of petty and jealous and seeing whether that um whether he went anywhere from that whether he used the you know the events of the story to sort of grow as a person because otherwise you know, you worry about it just being sort of flat yes okay so how long did it take to get this wonderful book that i have in my hand from idea in your head to the publishing and could you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah. So in early January of 2018, I think is when I hit the, the delete key on the old story with the character that was my age and then started anew with, uh, with Mr. Gabe. 
And I, um, I remember telling myself, um, my friends and I had a trip planned in June of 2018 to go to, to Red Rocks for a concert. I was like, okay, that'll be my treat. By the time June rolls around, I'll have a draft of this done. And then, um, you know, three years later, I produced a workable draft. You know, two wow. and a half years after that initial deadline. Um, yeah, there were some gaps in there. And then um, started reaching out to, to editors and, um, you know, got an edited draft, which helps immensely. And then um, spent a year trying to get it traditionally published, uh, doing the, the querying agent process. And then um, sort of end of 2021, decided to go to the, the self-publishing route. And, um, you know, I, I think I put it on sale for my website uh, in January of 22, and then put it on Amazon just last month. That's so a, it's a long process. Wow, so Four years. Wow. My wife's really tired of hearing about it. (laughs) So from what I understand, you made a wise choice by going the self-publishing route. Um, Have you heard of something called the Pareto distribution? I'm not sure that I have. Okay. So basically what that is, is if you think of Monopoly, when you play Monopoly... What always ends up happening is one person always ends up with all the money. Everyone else is at the bottom. You might have one other person who's doing okay, and then everyone ends up at the bottom. And that's kind of how things generally work in life as well, unfortunately. Um, So if you look at the publishing world, I think Stephen King, and I loved your Instagram photo where you had... It and then you had your book and you had the the quippy comment. Yours bigger, yours is bigger, Stephen, but mine is more colorful. I thought that was very nice. So if you look at Stephen King, he has I think fifty percent of the books sold might be Stephen King books, and that's just because of the name. So he started out with um, the Stand, which is an incredible book, but success breeds success and now he's this giant so it's kind of like monopoly like everything is flowing towards stephen king um (laughs) it's uh, it's the pareto distribution i think sold like as many copies or nearly as many copies as the bible between 2010 and 2020 or something yes exactly (laughs) um so to break through that in the publishing industry is really really difficult especially for a book about hiking which is kind of a niche thing um and then if you had gotten it published then you have to deal with you have a boss you have someone telling you and having input into your story so from what i understand um one of my favorite authors michael malice does self-publishing he did one book through a publisher and he said never again never ever again so from what i understand about the publishing industry wise choice going (laughs) self-publishing um can you talk a little bit about what the self-publishing process is like yeah so um i I was a big proponent or i benefited greatly from uh, readsy.com which is sort of like a craigslist or angie's list for self-publishing it's where I uh, found my editor who was great and went really above and beyond, um, you know, what an editor should be expected to do in just terms of, hey, like, hey, I don't know how to, you know, do this publishing or publicity task. Can you help me out? Can you help me out with that copy? Um, the, uh, the graphic designer who did my front cover or my whole cover, which you know, I think is phenomenal. Um, yes. That was, she, I found her on Read Z and, uh, yeah. I like the I, watercolor look. Oh, yeah. I, I can pretty much guarantee that if I ended up going the the traditional publishing route, that that cover does not end up looking like that. It's probably something much more uh, um, uh, traditional or palatable. Yes. Maybe um, a photograph of, yeah. Yeah, like a, I think um, 
you know, Bill Bryson's book, which is a wonderful book, has, you know, a picture of like a bear with some leaves behind it or something. Yep. And then Wilds is a cover, a picture of a shoe. Yes. Um, but I'm sorry to interrupt. You mentioned Bill Bryson. Yeah. So the reason that he got a book about the Appalachian Trail done and his hike that he didn't even finish. <laughs> so good on you. You're better than Bill Bryson. Hashtag better than Bill. <laughs> is because he's Bill Bryson. He had written a series of travel books. Again, it's that Pareto distribution. He had the name. So the name gets you the ability to write a book about your hike that you abandoned. Um, again, it's still a wonderful book. Yep. But I just wanted to interject. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. All right. He's got a similar thing to early Mr. Gabe where he, he is only negative about the trail. Yes. And then ultimately quits. So yes. you know, that moment where Bill Bryson quits, you know, Gabe gets dragged back to the uh, the trail by a police officer. Um. So anyway, I'm sorry. So I interrupted yeah. you. You were talking about, um, you know, the artwork and the cover. So continue. Yeah, uh, just, yeah I found um, found a lot of help on Reedsy. I mean, it's uh, you, you pay for it, but they go above and beyond. Um, that's a that's a really good site. And then, uh, it just just be ready for everything to uh, to take a while. It's okay. a, it's a slow process. Uh, spend. You know, uh, the editing alone was maybe a four-month process, and then uh, you're working on the the cover was was a process, and then uh, once you get into marketing, um, you know, it takes a while for people to read a book, and it's not a short book. So when you're sending it out for reviews or sending it out to to get podcasts, which you know, because you're doing it self-publishing, you got to do it yourself. Um, there's a lot of lag time, which can be daunting. Um, you know, it's sort of like applying for, for jobs or applying for schools where there, you send it out and it's just silence for a long time. Um, but it's, it's rewarding. It's really, um, it's fun to come on and do pod, podcasts like this. And when you do start getting feedback, it is really rewarding and really, uh, you know, it's home. Yeah. We spent, I think we first got in touch almost a month ago at this point. Again, thank you so much for reaching out. And I think I even pushed it back because I didn't feel I was far enough along in the book to do the conversation justice. So I pushed it back so that I could get further. It's not a short novel, but it does, if you get into it, it does go quick. Like I mentioned, I read the majority of this over two days on vacation last week. So yep, yep, once that. you get into it, you can go through it fairly quickly. Okay. That's good. Yeah. So do you have, uh, you kind of already answered this, do you have any specific advice for authors who seek to self-publish other than just be ready for it to take a while? Uh, the, I guess a lot of people that's trying self-publish um, skip the editor step because it's expensive. Do not do that. Um, okay. You know, prior to the, the book getting edited, it's most likely just like a loosely connected series of perhaps enjoyable scenes. An editor will really tighten that up and you know make it what you want it to be and how you see it in your head. Okay. Uh, other than that, um, I would say four months ago, it was unfathomable, unfathomable to me to think that I would be doing virtual podcasts and reaching out to people on Instagram. Uh, so I just say, get out of your comfort zone. Um, this is a lot of fun. And, you know, reach out to people on Instagram. Get, I didn't have social media four months ago. Get oh, out wow. and start reaching out to people. Um, you know, you got to put yourself out there. And uh, it's, you know, it was terrifying to me, but, it, you know, you, you didn't bite. <laughs> it was fun. Awesome. Yeah. Do you think you would do it again? Are there any other ideas floating around in your head? Yeah, I uh, got a couple, unfortunately, it's a couple little embers that I've sort of started that are maybe at the 10,000 word mark. Um, yeah, just a matter of turning that into, um, you know, an actual, you know, fully realized idea that I guess I would be ready to take to an editor and really work on and get serious about. But, uh, you, know, like I, you know, like we talked about earlier, it's a four-year process yep. for me, apparently, and it's it's daunting on the front end. Okay. Awesome. 
All right, so we always like to wrap up by having our guest share a unique story or um, a trail tale. That's also why we send the outline out ahead of time so you can maybe think of something. Um, yep. So before we wrap up, do you have a story to share with our listeners? Yeah, um, I think I have two quick ones, if, that, sure. if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, first one, um, you know, when I finished hiking, I hiked with a guy for um, since Pennsylvania. So we, we hiked about a thousand miles together. But uh, in New York, we were leaving, one, I forget the name of the shelter, but one of the ones that was sort of near a road. And we left the shelter and we quickly got on the road doing a short road walk. And a car pulls up next to us, and it's like, hey, I'm the, the shelter maintainer. Would you like to come to my house and shower and you know, have some food, do all that, wash your clothes? Which, I mean, you know, seems wild now, post-COVID, and just being in my 30s as opposed to being 23. But, you know, I said yes. And we went, and um, when I remember coming out of the shower, they said that, uh, hey, Mr. Frodo, my first trail name was Mr. Frodo, um, mm-hmm. Would you like to go into New York City? I was like, what? Like, yeah. Um, you know, the trail maintainer has asked if we'd like him to drive us to the, I guess we were near a railroad or a train that took us into the city. And it's like, okay. I mean, that, that sounds like a big part of this adventure. So we borrowed some clothes from him. We went on the train. We got in New York City. Um, and we did the, the lottery before Broadway shows. Uh, I guess they have a lottery for like $20 yeah. tickets or something. And uh, there were four of us, and two of us won. And uh, that's the story of how I ended up sitting front row at Wicked in uh, another man's cargo shorts. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. And, yeah. yeah, that just shows you never know what is going to happen when you're out there. Yeah. That's and, really uh, cool. You know, hesitate to say this to the, the public at large, but you know, saying yes to experiences and just sort of just seeing where something leads. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the other story, um, I guess it's not quite as uh, fun, but it, it's weird. Um, we were in New Hampshire, uh, about two days away from Smarts Mountain, two days south. And um, a woman took me and Beacon in. Uh, Beacon was who I was hiking with. And um, she said, you know, you can stay here, but there's something you got to do for me. And you got to say yes before, um, you know, I tell you what it is. I was like, well, you know, 23 and before COVID, like, sure, what, what do you got? And she handed um, she handed my friend this little Ziploc bag of gray powder and said, this is my dog, Quester. These are the his ashes. He was born on Smarts Mountain. Um, would you please, you know, hike him to Smarts Mountain and release his ashes there? And, well, I already said yes. So, yeah. Um, we got to, you know, we did that. We hiked with the, the ashes for two days, and we got to Smarts Mountain and had a little sunset memorial on the fire tower there for uh, Quester the dog. That's really sweet. Where exactly yeah. is Smarts Mountain? I think it was, it was before we got to the Whites in New Hampshire, okay. so southern New Hampshire. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. Those were two excellent stories, and thank you for having one ready. It's... Um, I, we stole this element of our podcast from another podcaster. He has give, since given us permission. He's been on the show twice. He's, he's awesome. Kyle O'Grady, but he used to have a podcast called trail tales and that's how he would end every episode. And he stopped his podcast. Um, and we picked up and we kind of picked up that tradition so thank you very much for having something ready. It can be frustrating when a guest, you ask them and they're like, well, let me think. And then you're just kind of sitting there. So those are two really good ones. And thank, thank you for you. having something ready. All right. Of course. Um, so before we completely wrap up, is there anything that you wanted to talk about that I missed that I haven't mentioned yet? Um, well, you got me thinking when you said... Uh... Mr. Gabe got ran out of, I think the town was Duncan, like John yes. Rambo. Yes. That there would be a great sequel for Mr. Gabe to come back to Duncan. <laughs> and go to war the, on the on yeah. the town of Duncan. <laughs> they drew first blood. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I was thinking as I was reading that, I was like, this is like Sheriff Teasel. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, which, it's a good, uh, 
good excuse to it is called first blood right that first yes. rambo would be a good reason to, to go rewatch that and started yes that sequel started change the tone <laughs> um and the book is very different i don't know if you've read the book but the book is very different in tone than the movie sylvester stallone actually spent all of his rocky money re-editing and rewriting um the script and then taking the finished movie and re-editing it because he didn't like it and it is the book is good but the author is telling a rather different story i'm not okay. going to give any spoilers and I've, I've heard that um Sylvester Stallone is hell on a, a writer when their yes. book becomes one of his, um, was, I think it was Cobra where he edited yes. it or changed it enough to where he wanted his name on the cover. Yep. Um, yes, he is. But in this case, he made some wise, what the hell, go read the book. I'll spoil it anyway. He made some really wise choices. You can't end your book with John Rambo putting a gun in his mouth and blowing his head off. You can't end your movie that way. Like, yeah. credits... No, that's not going to work. <laughs> um, that works well in a book for a literary device, but on film with your, your popcorn eating, oh, it's not going to work. So he made some very wise choices. Yeah, and then how are you going to make all those sequels? Exactly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> but, so, what are... And I think it's great that you recently got social media just to promote this. So let's go there. What are your social medias uh, so right. that people can go follow you? I'm getting better at this. Uh, I'm Brian Livingston Books on Instagram. I am Livingston Books on Twitter. And then uh, author Brian Livingston on um, Facebook. And then uh, my website is brianlivingstonbooks.com. Excellent. Um, is there a TikTok coming in the future? Brian Livingston on uh, TikTok? Oh, man. TikTok's the video, right? Yes. That might be, I'd have to trim the beard and sort of get, get myself together before I think my wife would let me put myself <laughs> on the TikTok. You could reenact scenes from the book on the TikTok. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. All right, Brian, thank you very, very much. Um, it was a pleasure, and we are looking forward to having you back when you write that sequel. All right, yeah, thank you very much. I enjoyed being here.